Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, we're coming to you on this uh, beautiful Tuesday in the middle of the summer. We're already, uh, already two days into August. Alan West at the bottom of the hour brings us inside that battle for the governorship, which is single digits now, which is stunning to me, as well as uh, the big Hispanic vote leaning towards Republicans for the first time in my lifetime. Senator Ron Johnson standing by. He's also up for re-election to weigh in on the issues of the day. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Inflation Reduction Act doesn't seem to have much inflation reduction in it. That according to the Penn-Warden budget model. The impact on inflation is statistically indistinguishable from zero. Crunching the numbers on the inflation reduction makes Manchin's deal look like a climate tax and spend bill. In other words, it raises taxes, denials just don't cut it. Number two. Our intelligence community located Zawahiri earlier this year. After carefully considering clear and convincing evidence of his location, I authorized a precision strike that would remove him from the battlefield once and for all. Uh, yep, we got him, but we found him. Where we found him makes me wonder if it's the worst yet to come. Zawahiri drowned, uh, droned into hellfire hell. The fact is he was out in the open in Kabul, with the president, said al-Qaeda will no longer be, ro- be roaming through Afghanistan. That's why our troops left. That can clearly is not the case. Number one. If House Speaker Pelosi insists on visiting Taiwan, China will take resolute and strong measures to defend its sovereignty and territorial integrity. Let's wait and see if she dares making the visit. That uh, looks like she's making the visit. Uh, Taiwan, here I come. Reports leaked the speaker will be, in fact, landing in Taipei sometime today, maybe during our show. China promises a violent response. Your move, President Xi. Let's bring in Senator Ron Johnson. Senator, first off, your reaction to the killing of Zawahiri. Well, it's a good thing. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Uh, It is interesting that he's uh, walking freely around uh, uh, Kabul. so you got to have to be a little concerned about uh, you know what other Al Qaeda operatives are being given free reign inside Afghanistan as well because we've pulled out. So, but there's no doubt about it. He, he finally got the justice he deserves. You know, 20 some years later. Right, uh, no doubt about it. So the president made that announcement yesterday. It's good to know. But the fact that he was in Kabul, the country's capital, uh, within a Haqqani house, who is the interior secretary of that ridiculous, uh, uh, horrific government. 
makes me wonder if uh, can you get him being more blatant violation of the Doha agreement, saying there'll be no alliance between the terror group and the Taliban. Correct. You're correct. <laughs> and again, that's that's why I always describe the the withdrawal as embarrassing and dangerous. You know, at a minimum, we should have left uh, special operation forces at Bagram Air Force Base, maintain that base to support the Afghan security forces. I don't think it would have collapsed. I don't think you'd see the resurgence of the Taliban the way we have. But again, it was completely bungled and it's dangerous for the world. You know, part of the process is also just conveying to other adversaries, Russia, China, American weakness. And let's face it, I I would argue that's what tempted uh, Vladimir Putin to invade Ukraine and commit his atrocities and war crimes. I'm sure it's what is on President Xi's mind is he's, uh, you know, salivating over Taiwan. Yeah, well, we've got to worry about China. I want to pivot to that. But I do want to ask you about to comment on what Michael Walt said. As you know, he fought there uh, with, Green Ber- with Green Berets. Cut 26. Al-Qaeda is in Africa. It's in Syria. Obviously, it's growing again in Afghanistan. You know, this is a, a threat that is going to play this for generations, because as long as the ideology of Islamic extremism is alive, uh, then then we have to stay on guard. So is there a sense behind closed doors that al-Qaeda is growing again? I, I don't hear any intelligence about that, but I would just expect it would be. Um, again, when you have, and I would still consider Afghanistan now a failed state, certainly a, a state where you know, these groups can uh, congregate and plot and plan, uh, it's dangerous. Um, it's the, whole, the whole rationale, really, of going to Afghanistan was to deny them that type of safe haven they have that safe haven now. So, uh, Senator Ron Johnson, our guest, running for re-election, Homeland Security, Foreign Relations. So, as uh, Thomas Friedman writes in today's New York Times, says it's a reckless thing for the speaker to be going. Uh, it's a reckless thing because evidently the Chinese need to be saluted for not taking part in the, the war against Ukraine with Russia, not supplying them drones and arms. But yet this is the belligerence we're dealing with uh, from their spokesperson. Cut one. If House Speaker Pelosi insists on visiting Taiwan, China will take resolute and strong measures to defend its sovereignty and territorial integrity. As for what measures exactly we will take, let's wait and see if she dares making the visit. Will she make the visit? What do you expect the repercussions to be, Senator? Well, first of all, this has been so bungled from the start. You know, as a member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, you know, when I would travel overseas, I would always be talking to the State Department, you know, find out what their policies were and, you know, really try and work in cooperation with them. That obviously didn't happen here. You know, if you're going to go to Taiwan, you have to understand you're, you're, you're poking the tiger. Uh, you have to really consider, is it worth poking the tiger? If you're going to do it, you know, do it quickly, okay? Just go there and, you know, make your statement. Don't telegraph. Don't give the Chinese a lot of time to think about it and start issuing these threats. So, I mean, there's no doubt about it. This is horribly bungled. At this point in time, it's it's a lose-lose situation. I I don't think she can back down. I mean, that would be a terrible signal. I mean, even further weakness. And right now, that that is the most dangerous thing, is for the world to view America as a weak power. It's going to tempt tyrants like Vladimir Putin, like President Xi. Uh, again, it's, it's just bungled entirely from the speaker to the administration. 
Uh, it's just a very unfortunate situation. Uh, we'll see what happens from here. They're probably going to look to take it out on Taiwan in particular. But as I chose pressing John Kirby this morning, when are we going to get them the defensive weapons to repel a, uh, a China strike? Well, first of all, I think you have to take a look at the history, too, is Taiwan has never been overly aggressive in wanting defensive weapons, you know, establishing a strong defensive posture. So I'm happy to have the United States support freedom-loving people who are willing to defend themselves. I mean, let's face it, that's what's happening in Ukraine. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard not to help support people that are fighting for their freedom, their family, their territorial integrity. And I think we have the same sympathy for Taiwan. The people of Taiwan also have to wander as well, and they don't have a real good track record over the decades of clamoring for a very strong defense. It seems like it's the U.S. pushing them more than them, you know, asking for the help. So, uh, again, it's it's, uh, it's See, not that's interesting, Senator. I did not know that because they saw what happened to Hong Kong and they saw how that uh, that bastion of capitalism got steamrolled. And now they're forever changed for the worse. And now they know they've been a thorn in China's side because they represented democracy and freedom and what it could all be. And we know that 67 percent of all our chips come from Taiwan. Yet you don't believe there's a clamoring. And I, I did not know this. You don't think there's a clamoring for defensive weapons to make sure that they're not the next Ukraine? I think now that their eyes have been opened by what has happened to Hong Kong, there probably is. You know, they, they've elected the government has taken a stronger stance, that type of thing. But over the last few decades, they've been a pretty pacifist island, um, which, again, I, 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 everybody wants peace, right? So, again, this, this is a very ticklish situation between China and Taiwan and the U.S. Um, but it's, in the end, it's got to be the people of the nation that want to fight and defend their freedom and do it consistently right. over decades. Um, but, again, I, I think you just need to be careful. You know, you shouldn't be poking the tiger. You need to be smart in your diplomacy. And what has happened here with the speaker and the administration has not been smart. This has been completely bungled. And, again, it's just not a good situation. Again, I'm not defending China. There's no, there's no reason for China to be saber-rattling. I, I had the new Chinese ambassador in my office last week. It was not a pleasant conversation. I, I told him exactly how I thought about the path they have chosen, how unfortunate it is their aggressiveness, their militarization of the South China Sea Islands, uh, you know, their support for Russia. So let's face it, China is a threat. There's no doubt about it, but it's a powerful threat. And we need to use caution in dealing with them. Uh, I want you to, the other big thing I want to talk about is this biggest uh, farce inflation reduction act. If you want to call it a climate bill, I'll deal with it. That's what it is. But they call it something it is absolutely not. And Joe Manchin, who I really give credit for trying to keep our government uh, sustainable and our democracy intact, seemed to have been duped or caved. Here he is trying to explain his way out of a bill that's going to cost almost a trillion dollars. Cut 33. What about the fact that, you know, that taxes on those uh, making uh, $200,000 or less? And- There's nothing on taxes at all. There's not one one penny of change in taxes. I have no idea where they're coming at. Let me tell you the only thing that we did. The only thing that was done is basically we looked at taking everything out that could be looked to be uh, to fanning the fires of inflation or inflaming it. And there's nothing there. That is just not true. I mean, you have Mark Zandi uh, of uh, Moody's 
came out and said this will do nothing to the deficit. Then you got the Wall Street Journal saying, and a nonpartisan joint committee on taxation analyzing the bill, saying that it's going to cost uh, everybody that makes over $10,000 a year money on their taxes. The more you look at this, the uglier it gets. They would increase tax revenue by $16.7 billion for Americans earning less than 200000 and about $14 billion for people that more or, or earn between two hundred and five hundred thousand. Was that the goal in the middle of this? Well, apparently not, according to Joe Manchin. Uh, let me just comment in terms of the, the business tax on this. Uh, half of the burden of the, of the business tax is going to fall on manufacturers. You know, we want to make more things. So, so now we're going to penalize manufacturers. How, and, oh, why is way, that? Why is that? The, because you do manufacturing well, before you did this politics thing. Because the way they're going to collect this minimum tax is they're going to force people to uh, pay the tax based on book income where they're depreciating their assets over a long period of time. We put in tax law more immediate expensing of things like depreciation to incentivize people to invest, you know, to increase manufacturing. So this is going to you know, basically take that away. But, but here's the attitude of, the, of a business person. I'm a business guy. Taxes are a cost. And how do you, what do you do with the cost? You try and recover it by increasing your price. So there's no way this is an inflation reduction act. The tax aspect of this thing is going to put pressure to increase inflation. Certainly the hundreds of billions of dollars of government spending, that's what sparked inflation to begin with. So again, this is a complete Orwellian title. Once again, Democrats are great at this, putting a title on a bill that, you know, to hoodwink the American people think, oh, we're passing something that's anti-inflation or inflation reduction, when probably the exact opposite is probably true. So 538 uh, just did a, a poll, and for the first time, it looks like the Democrats have enough momentum that it looks like they're predicted to get the Senate. Uh, how do you feel about that? What is the feeling on the ground? Especially, you've always had a tough race, regardless of the year uh, and uh, who's, in, who's in the White House. But what are you sensing on the ground? Well, listen, we have some tough races. You know, mine's certainly one of them. Uh, by the way, Ron Johnson for Senate.com, if you want to see me uh, come back and do my investigations. But uh, it's a tough environment. You've, you've got the Democrats that have the media in their back pocket. And that's, that's probably our biggest challenge is you just – in my race, it literally is the truth versus lies and distortions. And, of course, the Democrats have nothing. I mean, they can't run on their record because their record is disastrous. And so their, their collusion with the mainstream media – and every lie, every distortion gets amplified by ma- mainstream media. So my, my race literally is the truth versus lies and distortion. I'm, I'm hoping and praying that the truth can prevail. Again, Ron Johnson for Senate.com if you want to help me. Senator, uh, you help me end the show. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Have a great day. You got it. Senator Ron Johnson, Homeland Security as well as Foreign Relations. It covers it all in our big three. one 408 7669 If you want to write me, go to BrianKilmead.com. Uh, and uh, you just click on comments, and it'll go right to my email box, uh, my email box. So uh, don't move. Brian, kill me, Joe. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.
This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So Al Qaeda um, has has wanted to use Afghanistan to use Taliban control of Afghanistan to rebuild their capabilities. They're fairly weak there now, but they want to rebuild their capabilities. And what this does more than anything else is says to them that we have to worry first and foremost about our security, even in Taliban controlled Afghanistan, because the U.S. can reach us there. That will make it more difficult for them to rebound. So that is a good thing. That is the main benefit um, of this strike over the weekend. I agree with him wholeheartedly. He's a former CIA acting CIA director, deputy CIA director, briefer of Obama, as well as Bush, and that's Mike Morell of CBS. So I agree with that. But I think the other thing that bothers me, which I think he would, if he was here right now, I'd say it, is that leaders don't usually travel by themselves. Bin Laden was hiding out. That's why he was by himself. He still had a ton of women and a ton of family around him. Morell, uh, excuse me, as Mike Morell would tell you, first and foremost, that if Zawahiri, the leader, is in Kabul, that means we're in the Haqqani house. That means, obviously, there's security for him. Not good, because he's on the second balcony. Maybe they were downstairs. Not many people expect to get hit by a drone in Kabul, a sovereign country now that doesn't contain any U.S. presence. But I worry about the, the rest of the soldiers, the foot soldiers, the other terrorists that have been trained by al-Qaeda that were surrounding him. And might have the ghost sign. Now, they might feel less secure, but they live to die anyway. Here's more from Mike Rommel, uh, Morell, Cut 21. We'll see who replaces him, right? It could be somebody younger. It could be somebody more dynamic. Um, certainly somebody who was influenced by him. He was one of the most violent members of al-Qaeda when his Egyptian group merged with al-Qaeda years and years ago. Al-Qaeda became more violent. So to the extent he's mentored the next leader, you know, that, that will tell you something about that person. Um, so I think that's the most important thing to keep in mind is who replaces him, um, what does that relationship with it, with the Taliban look like, and how aggressive will we be, and will will we maintain our focus on Afghanistan? And so far we have, um, and I hope we continue. I can't say that we have. I could say that we got intelligence, and we have some people that will probably unveil to us what will happen, well, how we got this. We had intelligence about one person. But I am not convinced that our presence there would allow us to see where the rest are. I mean, keep in mind, we could not find the guy that blew up us, uh, uh, blew up our guys and killed 13 Americans in uh, at the Kabul airport. We killed the wrong guy. We didn't know. We thought he, the guy was filling up his car with groceries. We said he was uh, with gas for something else. We said that he was the terrorist operative. So that's when we were still on the ground. But I love the fact that he's dead. I am not convinced uh, that the, the worst is behind us. I will say this. When you look at Mohammed Atef, who is defense minister for the uh, al-Qaeda, when you look at bin Laden himself, when you look at all the al-Libi and all the others that are in Gitmo and beyond, this is the last big guy from the original al-Qaeda group. So for the 9-11 families, this is an especially great day. So 
When we come back, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, one of the big stories that happened uh, this week and really happened last week that's bleeding into this week is that you have two mayors uh, from Democrat-run cities that are overrun with illegal immigrants coming from our border. And now there's an exchange between the governor of Texas and the mayor of New York City. Could there be some political forces that make this administration pay attention to the four million who have come here illegally? Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Roe. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The sad sort of tragedy. Why did we let this war go on for 20 years? We should have realized earlier that as long as Pakistan played this double game where they would claim they were, you know, confronting the Taliban and al-Qaeda, but actually sheltering them, it was, a, frankly, a waste of time. The war was lost. So it's a tragedy. But again, the threat remains. I know Americans don't want to hear that, but al-Qaeda's long-term goal is to attack the U.S. again and we see, again, and again, the Haqqanis, they're, they're very closely aligned with the ISI, the Pakistani Intelligence Service. Pakistani intelligence likely knew Zawahiri was in a nice villa in Kabul. So yeah. we've got to re-engage, yeah. but not with ground troops. So uh, let's bring Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. That's David Rohde, who was actually, Rode, who was actually captured for a while, and they got him out. Uh, he's the executive editor of New Yorker, but is also with the New York, was with the New York Times. Uh, what do you think about that, Lieutenant Colonel? Uh, was, the minute we knew that Pakistan would not give up their alliance to the Taliban, we should have just pulled out? No, I think that we should have put more pressure on Pakistan, and it's good to be with you, Brian. The The real problem in Afghanistan was always Pakistan. Pakistan was allowing uh, terrorist sanctuaries there uh, all along the border. Uh, that's what I saw in the two and a half years I was there in Afghanistan. We know that, okay, you get Zawahiri uh, supposedly in a, a big, nice complex there in Kabul. Well, guess what? We found uh, Osama bin Laden in the exact same place, Abbottabad, Pakistan, where their military academy is. You can't tell me that the Pakistani ISI did not know that he was there. So that's the real issue is that Pakistan is playing both sides of the coin, uh, and especially leaning towards supporting the Haqqani Network, as was just said, and all these other uh, groups, uh, because they want a destabilized Afghanistan. They don't want a strong Afghanistan. You know, what's amazing, too, is because Pakistan now made an alliance with China. China says, hey, you have no infrastructure. Maybe we can help you with that. They hate this relationship because China now uh, invested all this. They want to get paid back. Pakistan doesn't have any money to pay them back. And they're thinking to themselves, wow, we actually had a, a good relationship with the U.S. that we were screwing up. Now you, this is your bed. Mm-hmm. Now you have to lie in it. And we're not necessarily in contact with them on a daily basis like we used to. What does it tell you that we found them in a safe house? or a villa owned by the Haqqanis, and the Haqqani is the same one who runs the interior ministry of the Taliban government, a blatant violation of the Doha Agreement, correct? Yeah, you're absolutely right, but then what 
what do you expect? I mean, you put the exact same people that we took off the battlefield back into power, and they're not going to change their stripes. They're going to continue to be who they are. And when you read and study and understand the one belt, one road strategy of China, this is exactly what they're doing. They're going to into all of these different countries, especially building up port facilities and what have you, too, including in a place like Athens, Greece. But I believe it's uh, Karachi, uh, Pakistan, there on the on the water, and because they're looking at port facilities and giving them access to these countries and minerals and resources and supplies, things of that nature. Uh, but then, of course, what China wants is to have control, and they want to be paid back. And if you can't pay them back, then they want control. And uh, that's why China is the number one geopolitical foe of the United States of America. Use what the president said yesterday about the future of Afghanistan. Cut 18. Now we have eliminated the emir of al-Qaeda. He will never again never again allow Afghanistan to become a terrorist safe haven because he is gone and we're going to make sure that nothing else happens. As Commander-in-Chief, it is my solemn responsibility to make America safe in a dangerous world. You feel safer? No, and as a matter of fact, that's quite a delusional statement because if he believes that uh, the elimination of Zawahiri means that Islamic jihadism is gone. He's totally wrong. That's the exact same thing with the elimination of Osama bin Laden. Did not mean that uh, Islamic jihadism was gone, or the elimination of the head of ISIS al Baghdadi doesn't mean that it's gone. You're going to have to continue to put pressure on these these groups. You're going to have to continue to deny them sanctuaries, and without a doubt, you have given them Afghanistan once again, and Afghanistan is going to be a sanctuary where they will train recruit, resource, and eventually plan and launch attacks out of that uh, region. So I'm kind of encouraged. Uh, I do the same story almost every day for the last three years, two years, and that is uh, the border's broken and uh, zillions are coming across the border. The Border Patrol is distracted, undermanned, underpaid, underappreciated, with only 30% of the force actually trying to stop the bad guys, and we paid for a wall that's rusting in the desert. But something's changing. When this uh, liberal mayor from D.C. is complaining not only about your governor shipping uh, illegals to their uh, to their city, but also New York's governor saying stop the fight into New York City. We need some federal funding for this. And I get the I get the sense that with uh, with Mayor Adams relationship with the president of the United States, that there's something really is getting to the point where they're about to break for him to do this. How do you feel about a letter written from the governor of Texas to the mayor basically saying, now you know what we're getting used to. Why don't you tell, why don't you tell the president to take action? Well, yeah, I think it's quite hypocritical that you have so many of these leftist mayors declaring sanctuary cities, and now all of a sudden uh, they're being overrun in their self-declared sanctuary cities. And so what you see people living with down here along the border of Texas, they're starting to experience up there. Uh, and, and so, look, you know, turnabout is almost a fair play. Uh I think that, without a doubt, we need to start deporting individuals out of the United States of America that are here legally. But the real concern that I have, Brian, uh, not just the flights that the Biden administration is pushing on, but the fact that we have, I believe now, close to 800,000 over the past year and a half, two years, uh, gotaways. These are single military-aged males. We don't know where they are. 
that's greater than the combined active duty military strength of the United States Army and the United States Marine Corps. So in other words, we have a ground force in the United States of America of single military age males that we have no track of whatsoever. It's, it's insane. So he, he writes, uh, the crisis demands the attention of not only the Biden administration responsible for securing the border, but of leaders across the country. Unfortunately, Biden and his border czar, vice president, have refused to see the crisis for themselves, remaining willfully ignorant of this crisis that they created. Your recent interest in the historic preventable crisis is a welcome development. Writing back, the mayor says, instead of a photo op at the border, he gets invited to the border. He said, instead of a photo op at the border, we hope Governor Abbott will focus his energy and resources on providing support and resources to asylum seekers in Texas. How, what a clueless, ridiculous yes. response. Yes, this is not about asylum seekers. This is about an invasion. This is about what the Constitution of the United States of America talks about. It's about the rule of law. You cannot have this open borders policy and just allow people to come in, and then all of a sudden you expect hardworking American taxpayers who are dealing with inflation. They're now supposed to provide resources and many taxpayer funds to people that are here illegally. That's stuck on stupid. And so the number one thing that should be happening is to turn them around at the border, to start empowering ICE, to start empowering our Border Patrol. But that dog don't hunt with this current Biden administration that is embracing open borders agenda. All right, this is Congresswoman Myra Flores, who pulled up the upset of the century by winning as a Republican woman from Mexico, born in Mexico, uh, and ran as a Republican in a predominantly Democratic Hispanic district. And now she wants to do it again. That was a special election. And win it again because they redistrict her. But here's what she said, because keep in mind, our husband is a border agent. Cut 39. Everything mm-hmm. he started seeing on the border when he became a Border Patrol agent, it was just heartbreaking um, because I want every child to have the same experience whenever they come to the United States. I don't want no child to, that, to go through such abuse. No one deserves that. And I don't care where these children are from. They're children. We must protect them. And we have a serious problem in this country. We have, uh, we're the number one in child sex trafficking. And if we want to stop that, we must secure our borders. It, it isn't just, it is, it's not about politics. It, yeah, it isn't. Uh, and, and she realizes that. What do you think about the Hispanic vote uh, in Texas in particular that you're seeing, Colonel? Because you traveled when you were trying to, uh, to get yep. that nomination. You were traveling the state. Well, that and when I was uh, state party chairman and we started to have more engagement down in South Texas along the Rio Grande uh, Valley area, it's flipping, it's turning. And all you have to do is look at the uh, the polling of Joe Biden and his, the Biden administration in the Hispanic community. It's worse than, I think, uh, 30, less than 32 percent. And it's definitely lower than that even in, uh, in South Texas because they want safety and security. They want better education and uh, economic opportunities. They don't want to see this rampant open borders policy. And of course, when you have Jill Biden that comes down to San Antonio and compares the Hispanic community here to breakfast tacos, that doesn't help either. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right, Colonel, uh, you're, you're now the executive director of the American Constitutional Rights Union. Thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Brian. You take care. All right. Go get him. Uh, that is Colonel Allen West. When we come back, I'll take your calls. one 866 We'll finish up the hour. So whether it's Joe Manchin being duped or do you think he duped us? Both. We have the same results. Uh, what do you think about uh, the killing of Zawahiri? Well, we all rejoice in that moment. I actually think I'm more worried today than I was before he was taken out because of the place he was taken out in. 
And, of course, the big news is Nancy Pelosi, any minute, could be landing in Taiwan. The promised response from China, what we can expect on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's The Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. We will not take the bait or engage in saber-rattling. At the same time, we will not be intimidated. We will keep operating in the seas and the skies of the Western Pacific as we have for decades. We will continue to support cross-strait peace, stability, support Taiwan, of course, defend a free and open Indo-Pacific, and we're still going to seek to maintain lines of communication with Beijing. Well, it's not working out too well because the administration can't get on the same page with the Speaker of the House from the same party. She's supposed to land in Taiwan sometime soon, I think, within our show today. The big question was, going to the Wall Street Journal, their sources reveal that the big question is, will they spend the night in Taipei at Taiwan or just visit and move on? My sense is you can't back down now, but I think the administration would like to back down. I think there's got to be some deal behind the scenes. I see Thomas Friedman saying that, the Speaker of the House should really back off. This is reckless. And that China has actually cooperated with Russia and Ukraine. Ukraine is in trouble. And that if the drones, which are produced in China for the most part, were given to Russia, it would thoroughly balance it against even more severely against uh, Ukraine. And they're not doing that. And they say that because of that, that could blow up if the Speaker uh, lands in Taiwan. I couldn't care less. Uh, about that. I, I don't see, I think China's stuff that they're doing, buying the oil, that's doing enough damage. I really don't feel like they owe them anything. I'm shocked by uh, the rhetoric coming out of China that they feel bold enough to try to intimidate us not to do it. Evidently, on the phone, on the conversation with the President of the United States and the President of China, he says, why are you letting her do that? He goes, I don't tell her what to do. You know, she makes her own decisions. Tom Cotton, believe it or not, went out of his way to say, Hey, Ms. Speaker, I don't care how this happened. You can't stop now. Cut eight. I saw Nancy Pelosi last week, a rare conversation I had with her. We disagree on most things. But once the Biden administration leaked this trip, I think in an effort to deter Nancy Pelosi from going, I thought it was essential that she go, that she show that the United States will not be pushed around by Chinese communists, that the Chinese communists not tell any American citizen, much less an elected member of the United States Congress, when and where we can travel. I'm disappointed that the Biden White House has tried to put pressure on a speaker of their own party not to travel to Taiwan, which is a long-standing tradition, as Newt Gingrich said earlier, of American legislators traveling to Taiwan because of our relationship with that self-governing island. Well, that is uh, Tom Cotton making it clear. So the Chinese post this. The Chinese military posted a video, and I don't know if you've seen this. It looks like something from a Tom Cruise movie. Everything that they have, every explosion they ever had, every rocket that was ever in the air, every troop that they had uh, marching, they put it all out there. Uh, The Chinese military posted a video of launching missiles, grabbing weapons, taking off of fighter jets ahead of the House Speaker. Uh, They went on to say... That the speaker insists that the speaker insists on visiting Taiwan. China will take resolute and strong measures to defend its sovereignty and territorial integrity. For what measures exactly we will take, let's wait and see. If she dares making the visit, China will take um, even more action should she continue. I don't know what is she going to do. Is she going to? Are they going to just try to bomb one of these these smaller islands on the outside? Maybe if some Taiwanese died, they would say, "Look at uh, the blood is on Nancy Pelosi's hands." 
Biden tried to explain to the President Xi that as a longtime former member of Congress himself, uh, it is not he cannot control Pelosi that if she makes her own decisions. Uh, meanwhile, for Beijing to turn, a, uh, to turn a potential visit consistent with longstanding U.S. policy into some type of a crisis or conflict, they said is a pretext to aggressive military action, is totally unnecessary. So we're trying to approach this rationally. They're acting irrationally. Ned Ryan was on primetime with Jesse last night. He's with the founder of American Majority, Cut 9. Let's be honest, a photo shoot doesn't do much at all. If we were serious about standing with Taiwan in the face of the Chinese communists, we would be serious about getting Western economic dependence off of China. If we were so concerned about it, we'd stop buying so many Chinese goods. Do you think they would really have the ability, China would, to be having this threatening stance towards Taiwan if we hadn't funded it? Because I think we need to be honest. Just as Europe, a billion euros a day in Russian energy was funding Putin's adventurism in Ukraine, I think we need to be honest that China has been empowered by us to take this stance against Taiwan. If we want to be serious, it's not photo shoots. It's being serious about our economic dependence on China that's funding all of this. Absolutely. And I just got this email, too, in from Robert. He writes, can you please uh, can you please do a story on what's being done to bring our pharmaceutical production back to the United States? How about nothing? How about pursuing all, all the spies that are within our borders in the United States that we allow, most of which are at our colleges? We've done nothing. We've pulled back on that program. So if you do a comprehensive pullback and somewhat of a divorce between the countries, bring manufacturing back, even if it means higher costs, I think that American people would be thoroughly behind it. They would understand what the sacrifice was about. I think so. Anyway, Mike Pillsbury was on with me last night. He's from the Hunter Hudson Institute. I asked him about Nancy Pelosi coming in, the belligerence that's coming back out, and what it's going to mean for the two countries. Cut 11. It's starting to shift now. The Congress is very angry that Taiwan is kind of a sitting duck. There's no real deterrence power. Um, and so basic military common sense tells a lot of people in Congress, we can't have this one China policy be so inflexible. We've got to mount a defense of Taiwan because of China's threats over the last two or three years. That's the crux of the matter. Nancy Pelosi has not declared herself on this. If she goes and takes Taiwan's side... That's what the Chinese nightmare is. She'll come back as an advocate. And as you know, Brian, back in the 90s, Nancy Pelosi used to be a China hawk. She loves the Dalai Lama. She got him a gold medal. Uh, She went to Tiananmen Square and demonstrated with a flag herself, hoping they would arrest her, I guess, as a congressperson. So they're watching Nancy Pelosi to see if she'll support these new policy changes that basically President Trump initiated uh, or not. And please, do not lift the tariffs. Even if they do some damage to us, they do more damage to them. How do I know that? Because the tariffs that Trump put in place, that Biden left in place, have the Chinese complaining. And if it was no problem, why are they? Why would they be complaining every chance they get? And why do we have other people who are China apologists saying, yeah, might as well lift the tariffs, they don't do anything. If they didn't do anything, then they wouldn't be complaining to get them lifted. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't forget One Nation, Saturday nights at 8 o'clock and 11. And BrianKilmeade.com is where you can find out about my live events on stage. And they are so much fun. If you're in Oklahoma, remember, November 13th, KRMG listeners, I'll be there. And then November 12th, I'll be in Brandon, Mississippi. And more importantly, August 27th, Newark, New Jersey. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Hi, everyone. It's Brian Kilmey coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world, especially in the Ukraine and Taiwan, where we expect the Speaker of the House to touch down at any moment. Yep, it's going to happen. Uh, we're also, if you want to write me as opposed to call me, just go to BrianKilmey.com, click on contacts, uh, and they'll have a chance to not only get in touch with me, you could also find out if I'll be in your town on stage and have a chance for uh, for us to interact. I'll be in of course, Newark, New Jersey on the 27th of August, September 8th in Albany, New York. Hope to see all the listeners there. And then we have uh, Tulsa, uh, November 13th, and Brandon, Mississippi right after that. So in the meantime, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Inflation Reduction Act doesn't seem to have much inflation reduction in it. That, according to the Penn Warden budget model, the nope. impact on inflation is statistically indistinguishable from zero. Right. Crunching the numbers on the inflation reduction package, it makes Manchin's deal look like a climate tax and spend bill. In other words, it raises taxes. Denials just don't cut it. Number two. Our intelligence community located Zawahiri earlier this year. After carefully considering clear and convincing evidence of his location, I authorized a precision strike that would remove him from the battlefield. Once and for all. Well, we got him, but where we found him makes me think the worst is yet to come. I'm on Wazawahiri dead. Hellfire Missiles has him in hell. But what is left of Kabul? Do you really think he was the only Al-Qaeda member, Al-Qaeda member in the Taliban territory? Not a chance. Number one. Pelosi, If House Speaker Pelosi insists on visiting Taiwan, China will take resolute and strong measures to defend its sovereignty and territorial integrity. Let's wait and see if she dares making the visit. Well, now she has to make the visit, and she's about to make the visit. Taiwan, here I come. Reports leaked. The speaker will come. China promises a violent response. Your move, President Xi. What kind of move can we expect? Uh, we'll, we'll discuss that and take your calls on that. And now let's welcome in Yoli Joja, the director of the Frontier European Initiative, senior fellow at the Middle East Institute, former deputy project manager at NATO Allied Command, and an adjunct professor at Georgetown. Uh, Yulia, uh, thanks so much for joining us. What do you expect? What, China, what is China capable of doing in response to the speaker's uh, imminent arrival? It's good to be with you. Thank you for having me. Um, they're capable of doing more of what we've already seen over the last few years. Um, they could launch some missiles. They could um, threaten some more, ramp up the, you know, battle rhetoric. Or we could actually see a conflict starting. But then if they do, because an American politician is merely visiting Taiwan, what does that tell us about China? What do you mean? Well, um, you know, there's been a lot of discussions in the expert community. China um, this bad? Would they ever start a war? They don't have combat experience, um, unlike the United States. And so um, if they would really start a war because our speaker is um, is landing in Taiwan, um, then there's really no more doubt in terms of how bad China is and how much of an enemy it is. But I tend to be on the cautious side. I don't think um, there's going to be more than rhetoric, a bit of provocative actions. It would really be something that we haven't seen before in humanity, that um, a major war is going to be started just because a politician is visiting. Listen, I hear you. Uh, I'm talking about Taiwan. Uh, 
an island full of 23 million people, remarkably productive and capitalistic, who have 67% of all the chips that we buy are from that island. We can't afford even for our own personal security to do that. As a country, do you believe that we should be massively divesting from China? I think we should. I think we should be on the cautious side, and Taiwan is our ally, and we need them. But China needs them, too. They're dependent on them, too, particularly when it comes to semiconductors. So um, beyond, you know, battle rhetoric and and war escalation discussions, um, there is— there are realistic reasons why China would want to stay away from that. They would have unbearable costs in terms of a conflict. But back to your question, Brian, I do believe that we should be um, weaning off China and we should be pushing our allies, particularly in Europe and across the West, um, to be um, weaning off of China because we don't want those dependencies and we don't want to um, need in any way China that is, you know, on an authoritarian, dictatorial regime. Yeah, I just think that they're under pressure. Uh, Speaker Pelosi is under pressure to land. And I think the Chinese are under pressure to show some strength because they basically promised it and warned it. So we'll see what ends up uh, what happening there. Let's pivot a weekend to the killing of Zawahiri in the Middle East. For me, as much as I love him dead, I worry that if the leaders there are living openly— uh, in a villa run by the uh, owned by the Akani Network, the Interior Minister, there's many more Al Qaeda in that country. So that's what I worry about. Here's what the president said last night. Cut 15. After relentlessly seeking Zawahiri for years under Presidents Bush, Obama, and Trump, our intelligence community located Zawahiri earlier this year. He had moved to downtown Kabul to reunite with members of his immediate family. After carefully considering the clear and convincing evidence of his location. I authorized a precision strike that would remove him from the battlefield once and for all. So he's taking full credit for it. What does it mean to you? I am just as surprised as you that he was there. And I think you're right um, that there might be many more like him, as dangerous as him, um, harbored again in Afghanistan, like um, history all over again, right? Um, but I think that's a consequence. On the other hand, we shouldn't be surprised. That's, that's a consequence of us um, withdrawing from Afghanistan as we did um, without taking these, um, these um, things into consideration. So um, right now we have moved um, in, in the war against terrorism to, you know, here and there, a minimal strike. This strike on um, Al-Zawahiri was very precise. Um, We um, have managed to avoid any civilian killings, unlike in previous times. Um, So technology and American know-how is um, is at its Mm -hmm. best. Um, But I think it will mean that um, that our intelligence services will have a lot of work to do in the months and years to come, and we will likely see more of these instances in in Afghanistan and right. um, and around Afghanistan. Uh, we're talking to Yulia Joja. Uh, she's uh, she's also currently a professor at Georgetown, an expert in this area. Uh, when it comes to the Ukraine-Russian war, that just oh, it's on now for six months. It looks as though Ukraine is making enough progress in the Kyrgyzstan area that the Russians are now shifting troops over to stop them. Of course, they're worried about Odessa, but man, would they love to get back Kyrgyzstan. How's that war going from your perspective? 
Well, I think we're just seeing the beginning of the Ukrainian counteroffensive around Kherson. They managed to destroy that bridge and so to isolate um, to isolate uh, some of the troops um, in the Russian troops that are in Kherson. And Kherson is really important because it is a port city. We've seen yesterday the first successful grain shipment out of Ukraine. I'm surprised that this has happened. It's really important, not just for Ukraine, but particularly for those countries that need the grain. But when it comes to the counteroffensive of Ukraine, I think we have to be um, patient. I think it's going to take another few weeks. Um, we're going to see a lot more um, battle shifts over there and in the east of Ukraine and in the Donbass. And a lot of it depends on the shipments of Western advanced weapons. We've seen the biggest differences uh, being made by the HIMARS. Um, but the Ukrainians still need a lot more. And so if we want mm-hmm. them to decisively and quickly win, we got to up that um, shipment. Yeah, stop with the incremental. Just get them what they need and let them fight. Lastly, when it comes to the oil and gas in Europe, I understand the Germans in some German cities are saying, uh, do not take cold, hot showers. Uh, and get ready for some rationing and the jacking up of energy prices because the Russians are beginning to stop the flow through the pipeline, Nord Stream 1. What are you hearing? Yeah, I hear the same. And, you know, I'm a proud European. I grew up in Germany. But I got to say, we are here and Germany is here because they were so dependent on Russian gas. And they're doing now big mistakes. The United States has been helping them and Europeans a lot for the last six months in terms of weaning off of Russian gas and oil. But the Germans don't want to restart their nuclear plants that would be a lot safer and instead have started coal. So, it's going to be a hard fall and winter for Europe, um, and I'm hoping that the Germans will get a grip and manage this problem better because it's not just them and their industry, but a lot of smaller countries in Central and Eastern mm. Europe that depend on that, too, where Russia is blackmailing big time with gas and oil. I just don't understand how it's even in their interest to do it because don't they need revenue from something? Don't they need that European revenue? So they're rashing exactly. it off. So I don't get it. Exactly. It's um, it's basically a game that the Russians are playing of who is blinking first. Actually, if you look at the numbers, the Russians need Europe more in terms of supply than the Europeans at this point with American help needs um, the Russians for in terms of demand. Mm. And so it's a matter of Europe not realizing how strong it actually is. It's not used to this, particularly the European Union. And um, I wish they would just play better and not blink first, um, because then Russia will have a major problem. We've already seen it with um, with several studies coming out of the U.S. that the sanctions are biting in hard. So it's working. We just have to not blink first. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Uh, so thanks so much for your expertise. Appreciate it. Uh, Yulia uh, Joja, I appreciate director of the Frontier European Initiative. Uh, Thanks so much. Uh, It is a time in which the world is looking in at a very tense moment, not only in Europe, but in uh, in China and in Taiwan. And we will keep you up to date because we expect the speaker to land sometime within this show. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
information you want, truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. You know, I do want to say that it is uh, quite ironic uh, that uh, uh, congressional Republicans are complaining or, or uh, have a false, uh, a false outrage uh, on, on this Inflation Reduction Act uh, that is actually going to do something and help the American people lower cost uh, when, you know, when they have offered really nothing to do that. Okay, that is, what's ironic about that? The problem is what's in the bill. And it really doesn't lower costs. What it does is it provides additional subsidies for Obamacare. I'm not sure how that relates to inflation. What they do is find out, and I believe to a degree, Manchin's surprised by this. According to the Wall Street Journal, this, uh, this tax bill that they're talking about, that they call an inflation reduction bill, will increase tax revenue by $16.7 billion from Americans earning less than $200,000. And nearly uh, every bracket would pay more in taxes with those making below $10,000 per year seeing the largest uptick. So for those people really up against it making that little money, good luck. Uh, Chris Murphy says the only tax increases in the Inflation Reduction Act are the requirement that the biggest corporations pay some corporate tax fee and the closure of an egregious loophole for some billionaire millionaire investors. Uh, these dollars are used to cut uh, drug and energy costs for regular Americans. couple of things. What was explained to us effectively, I thought, was Senator Ron Johnson, when you start up a business in manufacturing in particular, you don't have a lot of money up front, so that's where you want to get your greatest bit of revenue. And then when you start doing that, after you have the initial investment, so taxes go up. So if you have to have a minimum 15% when all in your initial launch is all uh, expenditures, that's the issue. So a lot of times people that make these rules don't aren't in business. Like what business has Chuck Schumer ever run? None. You know, the Office of Senate Finance Committee and Ron Wyden's office also says what Chris Murphy says. A family making less than 400000 will not pay one penny more in additional taxes. The problem with that statement is it flies in the face of this nonpartisan uh, groups that keep looking at this saying it doesn't reduce infl- inflation and doesn't increase taxes. So you could say it all you want. You can call it inflation if you will. But when it comes out to what this actually means, this 700 and 20, the 725-page bill is really a climate activist bill. This is why Senator Elizabeth Warren is astoundingly happy by this bill. This is why AOC has been quiet. It's because it doesn't attack inflation. It brings money and subsidies to electric cars and so-called clean energy. That's the crazy thing. Because that's what it does, and it's not what Joe Manchin said it does. And every time a study is brought up, like the Wharton School of Business or the Nonpartisan Budget Committee, when it's brought up to Joe Manchin, he basically says, well, those 17 Nobel laureates were wrong when they said inflation would be transitory. Why are these other experts not wrong now? I'm not too sure that that really flies. Here's more from Joe Manchin yesterday. He's going to be on Fox News shortly, by the way. Cut 34. We have to agree to disagree. A difference of opinion. You know, my, my Republican colleagues are my friends, and I've worked with them tremendously, and I will continue to work with them any way, shape, and form. But these are things that we've all talked about in bipartisan groups. How can we start paying down our debt and take our take our finances seriously, get our financial house in order? We these are things that we all talked about, and we all said this is something we've got to change. This is in this bill. In normal times, this would be a bipartisan bill. It definitely would. But the problem is, it's not as they appear. And the question is, did Manchin get duped or are we getting duped by Manchin? Cut 33. What about the fact that 
you know, uh, taxes on those uh, making uh, $200,000 or less. And There's nothing on taxes at all. There's not one, one penny of change in taxes. I have no idea where they're coming at. Let me tell you the only thing that we did. The only thing that was done is basically we looked at taking everything out that could be looked to be uh, to fanning the fires of inflation or inflaming it. And there's nothing there. What you have is Moody's, Mark Zandi, my opinion, moves left. He said this bill, as it's read, worth $739 billion, said it would only lower consumer prices 0.03%. 0.03%. But they call it, call it a deficit reduction bill. Over the course of nine years, nine years, we don't know if this nine months is going to keep the people in place to put this in place. Now, the other big story where the drama really kicks in is Senate Kristen Cinema. She is not committed to voting on this. So we might be debating something that's not going to pass anyway. So what is your problem is? The carried interest. What has she said? I want the parliamentarian to weigh parliamentarian to weigh in. What does that mean? Well, when you have a reconciliation bill, it's got to be all budget related. That means you don't need you just need a simple majority. You don't need the 60 votes. If there's anything in there non-budget related, it gets nixed. Then she'll decide if she has to take a stand. She believes I think the carried interest could get nixed. So that's going to be interesting to see if in fact carried interest is the problem. When we come back, I'll be able to go through your emails and take some of your calls. Also, we'll do a simulcast with Stuart Varney. You'll finally get a chance to see what I look like, not only on Fox Nation, but on Fox Business. Uh, be there, BrianKilmead.com, to contact me. Don't move. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. It's also important to reflect on the fact that we retain uh, a fine, fix, and finish capability. And it's also important to note that we had to have collected intelligence reflections that we actually got Zawahiri. And that's all based on on the most sensitive intelligence. So it's important that we retain that capability. Uh, I think it's also key for us to keep in mind, as, as many have, that the fight continues. We've got lots of al-Qaeda operatives and ISIS in Afghanistan. It's a petri dish growing threats uh, to the region and to beyond. And while we can celebrate today this, uh, this very important victory uh, against a key terrorist target, we have to keep our eyes on, on the threats that remain uh, in Afghanistan. Yeah, no doubt about it. When you have Zawahiri, who has so much American blood and world blood on his hands, I mean, keep in mind he was involved in the Anwar Sadat assassination after he signed that peace deal with Menachem Begin. Uh, thanks to the, uh, the the refereeing of Jimmy Carter. And then Anwar Sadat paid for his life for recognizing Israel's right to exist. Zawahiri was jailed for that, tortured for that. He never should have been let out because of that. He forms his own organization, feeds off Muslim Brotherhood, ends up adhering and forming an alliance with bin Laden. And then down go the African embassies, down go the coal, and soon down go the Twin Towers. Now he's gone, and that provides some closure, I think, for the 9-11 families. Mohammed Atef, bin Laden himself, uh, Al-Libi, uh, Abu, uh, uh, Abu uh, Zubaydah. These guys were all the originals. So that's what Mike Morrell said. Mike Morrell remembers briefing President Bush on this. 
and said Zawahiri's death means a lot to those families that might be listening to us right now, especially the ones listening in New York City on WABC Cut 19. Maybe the place to start is with the victims um, of 9-11. President Bush kept a chart um, of all of those al-Qaeda operatives responsible for 9-11, and he would cross off individuals as they were captured or killed. And um, this weekend was the last person on the list, um, and that was Zawahiri, and he was crossed off. So that should bring some degree of closure to those victims of 9-11. Yeah, I feared that we were getting tired of looking for him, and that we didn't see him as a charismatic leader like bin Laden, and we lost maybe with the passion to get him. But why? Because he was probably in Pakistan. And now that the Taliban have taken Afghanistan back, they felt impervious to go there, impervious if he went there. What's going to happen to me? I got al-Qaeda operatives all around me. They're probably still there. Maybe they're running for the hills now, but they're used to it. That's the life they lead in the shadows. Uh, Jennifer Griffin was on primetime last night. And as these events unfolded, keep in mind, too, we're also keeping our eye on Taiwan. Because we understand, is it true? Is that is that her plane? We're not sure. It looks like her plane, a plane could be landing at night. I saw that on another channel. We'll find out what that is. But her plane's supposed to land there any minute. And, of course, China promises some type of violent reaction. Here's Jennifer Griffin on, on the Zawahiri killing. Cut 23. He was largely believed to have been in that border region inside Pakistan on the other side of the Afghan border for years. Uh, again, he was very sick for some time. Uh, but we'll hopefully get more details from the president uh, about some of that intelligence, though I highly doubt that they'll really give away the source of the tip. But it's interesting that there was that $25 million reward. Will that reward be paid out? Was there a tip that uh, will lead to to some sort of reward being paid out. Yeah, see, I don't care about the tip, the reward. I mean, if it it does, it does. That's fine. But plus, if you want to get paid out, you don't say it to anybody. You could say that somebody got the money. But we still got it. What about the doctor that was able to expose where bin Laden was? That doctor's still in jail in Pakistan. He might be dead by now. So last night, I filled in for Laura Ingram, and I was supposed to talk to General David Perkins when 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 he was Colonel Perkins. I actually stayed with him in Kuwait a one week before the invasion. He ended up leading the Thunder Run and made such had such a sterling career as a battlefield commander. Ended up in the Pentagon, retired a four-star general. So I was going to talk to him about the challenges of China. We ended up talking about Zawahiri because he was in Afghanistan too. Obviously at the planning stage in the Pentagon, knows about the danger. Cut 29. I think uh, bin Laden probably was sort of the figurehead. Uh, probably not involved in the day-to-day operations. Zawahiri always has been, as you said, sort of the the master planner and operator, pulling all the pieces together, working the logistics. And so they each had specific roles. So so him leaving the scene, uh, both as the designated leader and, and, you know, really follower of bin Laden, as well as the key operator over decades, is a major hit to al-Qaeda. No kidding is who else is around there, that's going to be the key. And if something else happens from there and they go through our southern border, how could you possibly not look to President Biden as the problem in that? That, to me, is a no-brainer. We're coming up on one year since the disastrous exit from Afghanistan. When I asked John Kirby that today, he's like, well, why don't you focus on how many people we got out, 124,000 in Kabul in a record amount of time? And my answer to this, it's not the admiral's decision to do it. You created a problem and you want credit 
for lessening the amount of damage done by that problem, some of which is some of the people we left behind while we got 124,000 evidently out, while a lot of those planes left almost totally empty. But if you look at the totality of what's happening, you see what happened with the invasion on Ukraine under President Biden's watch. You see what's happening now with the belligerence of China under President Biden's watch. You see what's happening with China and the Panama Canal in Central and South America, their presence in with Bolivia and Venezuela on President Biden's watch. And now we see the Speaker of the House freelancing, landing in Taiwan. Now, I'm for that, but I'm not for a situation where the White House is pushing against the Speaker, leaking the trip in order to get her to back off. That, to me, is anarchy. And that's reckless. Tucker Carlson pointed this out. Cut 31. His withdrawal from that country almost a year ago was the single most humiliating moment in American foreign policy since the fall of Saigon in April of 1975. There are a lot of ways to pull out of Afghanistan. Biden chose a path that seemed designed to inflict maximum damage to the interests of the United States. He did that. Kind of no debating it. But Biden is not ashamed of it. He wasn't ashamed of it then. He's not ashamed of it now. He goes on. Cut 32. Tonight, Biden gave a speech boasting that he's killed an al-Qaeda figure in Afghanistan. Great. Feel safer? Of course you don't. Nobody does. And the reason nobody feels safer is Biden's response to the disaster in Afghanistan. Rather than pause and learn from it, maybe fire the people responsible for it, not simply the self-destructive withdrawal from Afghanistan, but also the pointless 20-year war there, Rather than do any of that like a normal person would do, Biden immediately set off in another direction, provoking yet another conflict, this one in Eastern Europe. And he provoked it. Yeah, and that's what's going on. And that's what's happening. We understand that the the Speaker of the House is going to land in two minutes in Taiwan. Wow. Matt, uh, you are in North Carolina. Hey, Matt. Hi, Brian. What's on your mind? I want your opinion of the likelihood of China taking going through with their threat to shoot anti-plane down, Nancy well, Pelosi. I understand the Pentagon has looked at all the scenarios and not letting us know what it is. What I think is going to happen, I think they're going to try to uh, blast one of the Taiwanese islands, one of the smaller islands to the south. Then I think that if, if there's some Taiwanese citizens die, I think they're going to say, see, that's on America's hands because they're so reckless. Because they're so out there, Matt, with their threats. They didn't say, well, they'll be down the road, there might be said, there might be a price to pay. They are saying that uh, as belligerent as I've ever heard China, you better not do this. Almost like the way they treat the Dalai Lama. So they're backed into a corner. Now they have to have a strong reaction. What they'll do, I'm very curious because what can they do? I mean, let them, they got, we have moved the, uh, we moved our seventh fleet even closer. The USS Ronald Reagan has moved, moved in. They said that if we have military jets escorting Pelosi's jet, that we have a right, they have a right to shoot him down. Really? Would you shoot an American plane down? Are you ready to go to a world war because the speaker's doing something a congressional delegation did in November that Mike Pompeo did two months ago? Really? Now you're going to do it? A soon-to-be ex-speaker of the House comes to visit? We got to get stronger all around. And that's, that's the problem. I mean, we look weak all around, and we're always in reaction. And it's good to be the best and not feel you have to prove yourself. I feel this administration, after Afghanistan, has to prove themselves. Cut one. 
If House Speaker Pelosi insists on visiting Taiwan, China will take resolute and strong measures to defend its sovereignty and territorial integrity. As for what measures exactly we will take, let's wait and see if she dares making the visit. She's going to, and she's about to land. And I think I'm looking at a plane. You guys seeing that right now? Uh, It looks like a plane is landing at night in Taipei. Uh, in Taiwan, that is the capital. One of the things to look at now that the speaker is going to be on the ground disembarking from that plane with her delegation that includes New York Congressman Meeks. I think we're going to be seeing we're seeing that now uh, 1045 p.m. They're 12 hours ahead. So 1045 p.m. from Singapore, the speaker of the House has landed uh, your move, your move, China. You told her not to do it. She's doing it. The president said she makes up her own mind. It's not me. I don't watch it. That's not the way our government works. Let's see if they'll explain that. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, with Stuart Varney as we do a simulcast on FBN. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. So here we go. Uh, here we go. We're going to go on to FBN in a moment. But in the meantime, let me just tell you what's happening. The speaker's plane, along with the Democratic de- delegation, has landed in Taipei, Taiwan, despite the warnings of Red China, that you better not do it. Well, she did it. She's there. It's night. It's uh, 1050 at night. They're exactly 12 hours ahead of us. Uh, We do not know if she'll be spending the night there. I imagine she will. Uh, Let's listen in as we get introduced. What do you make of Pelosi's trip? She's arrived. She's done it. What do you say? Well, I mean, yesterday the Wall Street Journal let us know that she's going to be doing this. I'm watching her now disembark as we share the screen with her. Uh, And the thing is, you have no choice. I mean, how weak would she have looked had she not landed? And the word is the Biden administration at this point said, I don't even want to stop her because now everybody looks weak if she does it. But the word reckless comes to mind. The whole thing is reckless. Now, I'm, I'm for showing strength because China only understands strength, just like Iran, just like Russia. Anytime we say, let's be rational about this, let's talk about that, they say, weak, weak, weak. I understand that. So see, seeing that that would be our strategy, can we have a strategy? If you're going to put the Speaker of the House into the region for the first time in 25 years and into Taiwan for the first time in 25 years, the sitting Speaker, then you should be saying, hey, Mr. President, you're the, uh, I pretty much helped you get into office. I always go to bat for you every time we can. We're in the same party. We go to the same parties. Can you uh, let me know how do I get on the same page as you with this? It was supposed to be in April, and it got postponed because you got COVID. And now she's flying again, and now it's this huge deal. The President of the United States outed her. Reportedly, the White House put this out in the Financial Times to make her back off. And then when asked about it after that ridiculous speech in Massachusetts, she said the Pentagon doesn't think it's a good idea. Really? Can you guys handle that in a text message or something? That's a mess, a total mess. But should we now be making available to Taiwan really uh, good weapons, modern weapons that they need to defend Taiwan? Should we make those weapons available and say so now? I I think so. You know, I was shocked at as we watched the Speaker of the House get get off the plane. Uh, I was shocked that Senator Ron Johnson told me 90 minutes ago in the past he's in foreign relations 
The Taiwanese were not big on getting a lot of weapons. They thought it would be looked at as China, from mainland China, as provocative. But after witnessing what happened in the Ukraine and the steamrolling of Hong Kong, they've changed course. Now, what I also found out from General Jack Keane, because I was going to speak to Admiral Kirby today, I wanted to know what he thought. He said, for the most part, he knows we'll be serious. If we start doing the same war games we do with, uh, in the region with South Korea to uh, war plan against North Korea, we should be doing that with Taiwan. Because this will, to, if Taiwan's invaded and we want to help, there is no rehearsal on how to do it. Right, and right. so we can't wing it from the military perspective, from the people that teach these war colleges. You have to at least do a computer model. And he says, as far as he knows, and keep in mind, Jack Keene is for, head of the Institute of Study of War. There's been no tabletop war planning right. with, uh, with Taiwan. And I think we got to. Not only that, not only because they're our ally, because 60 to 70 percent of all our chips in our computers, as well as our cars, are bought and manufactured in Taiwan. Do you want to give China control of all that? Don't think so. I'm going to, Brian, I'm going to leave the video of uh, Speaker Pelosi in Taipei. I'm going to leave that on the screen. But I want to talk to you about the droning of Ayman al-Zawari, killed in Afghanistan in a suburb of Kabul. He was deputy to Osama bin Laden during the 9-11 attacks. But President Biden has said that al-Qaeda was out of Afghanistan. Apparently not. I call that a contradiction. Well, you call that a contradiction. And let's just play this out. The U.N. already told us there's an al-Qaeda presence in 15 provinces within Afghanistan. Now, let's use some logic. Zawahiri was understood to be in Pakistan. Why? It was a place to hide, and we, didn't, we weren't going over there aggressively. It's a sovereign nation. Since the Taliban have been back for almost a complete year now, the Taliban are back in power. They, you have the leader of al-Qaeda staying right out in the capital, right outside the governmental buildings in a government building that's owned by the interior minister, which is the last name of Haqqani, another famous terror network. You cannot say not only is al-Qaeda there while Taliban's there, you could honestly say the government is supporting the, the al-Qaeda again. And from what we know about these, these terror networks, do they travel with just the leader by himself? Or all the minions and soldiers and little terrorists in training around them. So It's a great story. It's an American win, I've got to say that. Brian, I'm sorry out hit. of time. Coming up against that hard break. You can see Speaker Pelosi in the pink pantsuit there. She has arrived in Taipei. All right, I've got to move on. Still ahead, California Congress... Stuart Varney. Uh, so it's pretty cool. So let me describe to you what's happening. It's night. So we're, we're, we have lighting that's going to highlight only certain people, especially somebody dressed in pink. That is the Speaker of the House, who's now waving to, I guess, some Taiwanese citizens. Yes, a huge delegation has shown up. Because, look, Taiwan's thrilled with this. I mean, to know the U.S. superpower, the third person in charge, in power, Speaker of the House, has landed anyway in defiance of China's uh, urgings not to and the threat of violence to maybe shoot her out of the sky. Uh, that makes Taiwan feel a little bit better. They have no, there's no downside there. Also, we have people on the ground there training some of their troops uh, in order to repel an invasion. Number one, I understand Taiwan's got a formidable force. Number two, in order to do that and fight off an invasion force, and if you want to know how it's done, uh, Admiral James Stravitas wrote a book, allegedly fiction, air quotes, but based on what they think would be the form the Chinese would invade there, what they claim is to be their own Sovereign part of China, which is an island off China, run was uh, where Chiang Kai-shek was in charge. He was run off the uh, run off the mainland China by Mao Zedong. Chiang Kai-shek 
uh, sets up a government on the outskirts. We recognize Chiang Kai-shek because uh, ostensibly it was a representative democracy. But he's the one we represented, we recognized for years until the 1970s, and Nixon went to mainland China to really set up a counteractive during the Soviet Union uh, reign to a, a countered in the Cold War uh, to the Soviet Union. So they said, okay, they may be communists, but we'll get along. So we'll keep you up to date what's happening. Nancy Pelosi on the ground so far without incident. We'll see the rhetoric that comes out of China. I'm sure they're ready to go with something because they've had plenty of time to plan. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Big news day. So glad you're here. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Hi, Brian, Brian Kilmeade. Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Mike Pillsbury is standing by, one of this nation's foremost Chinese experts. Uh, but the breaking news is Speaker Pelosi has landed in Taipei uh, at 1045, 1046 uh, in the evening. They're 12 hours ahead of us, and it went without incident. She landed, easy to stand out, wore a pink suit. The person next to her, I believe it's Congressman Meeks, uh, a, a light blue suit. I could see that in the dark. And there was a huge delegation that turned out to greet her. Uh, also, uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Senator Lindsey Graham. Two things we're going to be talking about predominantly, and that is the Zawahiri's killing, thanks to Hellfire missiles that shot out on Saturday. We just reported on Monday night. And, of course, the... Uh, the landing of the Speaker of the House, first one sitting Speaker to go there in 25 years into Taiwan, despite the threats, flat-out physical threats from China. Now, keep in mind, the Speaker of the House will be in Singapore. It was in Singapore. It will be in Malaysia, South Korea, Japan, and now Taiwan. The question is, and I, don't, I think it's, there's no doubt about it, you land 1045 at night, you're spending the night there. One of the questions was, would she spend the night there? Would that be our acquiescence or compromise? I won't spend the night there. I'll just visit. But I doubt it. You don't come at night at 1045 and then leave. Uh, that's embarrassing. Taiwan's tallest skyscraper is lit up with a big welcome message for the Speaker of the House. Mike Pillsbury joins us now, director of the Chinese Strategy at the Hudson Institute, author of The 100-Year Marathon, China's Secret Strategy to Replace America as the Global Superpower. We probably can cross out secret. Uh, Michael, what's, <laughs> so far, what do, you, what do we know? She landed without incident, and she wasn't shot out of the sky, thankfully. Well, one of the most fascinating aspects of this is the Pentagon's reply to Fox about 15 minutes ago. Fox asked the Pentagon officially, did U.S. fighter aircraft escort Nancy Pelosi's Air Force uh, jet when she was coming into Taiwan? And the Pentagon answered by saying, well, we don't discuss these matters, but we are very concerned about the security and safety of members of Congress when they travel. So that, to me, was a close yes that uh, was followed by their telling Jennifer Griffin a list of all the American warships that are within two or 300 miles of Taiwan. So this has taken on a different uh, aspect than the last week or so when we had Biden kind of hinting that she shouldn't go because the military didn't want to. Now what Fox is reporting from the Pentagon is our military is involved in this trip, and I would call it supportive to provide the protection. So when the president came out two weeks ago and asked about the trip, he goes, the Pentagon doesn't think it's a good idea. But Jennifer Griffin has pushed back on that. They said, we never said that. We just consulted on her, consulted with her about what to expect and what the risks were. And that's a paraphrase of Jennifer Griffin. But she said that wasn't true. So once again, the president says something that contradicts what somebody else says. So here's, uh, here's what I could tell you right now from the congressional delegation statement on the visit to Taiwan. Pelosi. 
The visit is in no way contradicts the longstanding United States policy. America's solidarity with the people of Taiwan is more important today than ever. And our discussions with Taiwan leadership will focus on reaffirming our support for our partner and on promoting our shared interest, including advancing a free and open Indo-Pacific region. Now, does anything she say fly in the fact that China says Taiwan is part of China? Um, she's trying to stick up for the old policy, the one China policy, as interpreted by our side, that it's okay for a congressional delegation to visit because Taiwan doesn't really belong to China. Otherwise, Nancy and her team would need visas from Beijing. They're going to Chinese territory, according to the Chinese interpretation. So if you're flying on an Air Force passenger jet and you have some protection implied from the Pentagon, uh, I wonder where this Air Force aircraft is going to park tonight. The old approach, Brian, was the Air Force would drop off the congressional delegation in Taipei. Then they would fly to Okinawa for a couple nights so they would avoid giving the appearance that the plane actually would stay there. Because, again, from Beijing's point of view, this is Chinese territory. Nancy Pelosi's visiting without a visa. <laughs> That's oh, yeah. the heart of the one China policy. Who owns Taiwan? Beijing's very clear. We own Taiwan. The U.S. has never said that we agree with that. The U.S. keeps saying we acknowledge it, we don't challenge it, these kind of uh, vague answers. So the question remains, from Taiwan's point of view, they own Taiwan. They are the government of the island, and they have a flag, they have armed forces, they want to be treated that way. So we'll be watching in the next few hours – Will Nancy Pelosi and her delegation act as though Taiwan is a real country? Will they use the proper titles? President Tsai, for example, um, will they uh, enter into government office buildings? The palace of the president is called the governor general's office from the old Japanese days. Will Nancy and her delegation not accept Chinese claims of sovereignty over Taiwan Island? That's the core issue of this trip. Right. And – Maybe China will somehow have a have a military response to Taiwan directly. Maybe to some of those islands that are next to the Big Island. Uh, that's one way people said that the an invasion could take place. Uh, so China has warned in the past over the past few days resolute and strong measures. What other yeah. things could they do? Could they prevent her from leaving? Could they prevent a plane if the plane does leave and, and go to Okinawa and come back to pick her up? Could they prevent that plane from coming in? There's a wide range of options that Xi Jinping has to look at. One is trade and economics, just punishing the Taiwan economy. Taiwan is very heavily invested in the mainland China, just like we are. Taiwan has enormous factories in the mainland. It's got a huge set of exports that go to China, including chips. So Beijing could do some kind of economic boycott or punishment. They could also do something in the cyber area. They've already reportedly uh, been making trouble on Taiwan's government website. So the, the military options remind me of how people can get out of control in this kind of emotional atmosphere. As you know, back in 2001, there's a Chinese fighter pilot named Wang Wei, who's a big hero in, in China now. He danced his fighter aircraft right in front of one of our EP uh, three recon aircrafts. It was damaged had to make an emergency landing. Wang Wei, the hot dog pilot, was killed. Now, that seems to be his own initiative. He's just trying to show what a great patriot he is. So a Chinese uh, ship captain or jet fighter pilot 
somebody in the next 24 hours thinking he's a great patriot could also cause a major international incident. Very interesting. I do remember that the first few months of the Bush administration that took place. So there's a sense that on April Fool's Day, April yeah. 1st, 2001. Besides that, you don't remember much. Uh, Mike Pillsbury, our guest, uh, he had wrote the book of the 100-year marathon, China's uh, secret strategy to replace America. But, you know, I was talking to a military expert today. He said the State Department is micromanaging what weapons Taiwan is getting that they should yes. be receiving in order to defend their island nation. So the Pentagon and State Department are at uh, loggerheads because the State Department worried about upsetting China, where the Pentagon is more upset, well, more concerned about defending Taiwan. That's been a huge problem uh, for 40 years. The Pentagon and the Taiwan military have one definition of the balance of power and the kind of weapons they need, including training and the joint exercises with us, which has been banned for 40 years. The State Department, as you say, is much more concerned about getting as close to the Chinese position as they can, that basically Taiwan is somehow part of China. Therefore, we have no legal basis for arms sales. Henry Kissinger had a famous meeting with his staff that pointed this out back in 1976. How are we going to sell arms to Taiwan if we say that they're part of China? That that never got resolved, Brian. So Congressman Mike McCall has already revealed that there's a billion dollars or more backlog of Taiwan arms sales purchases that have not been reported to the Congress for final approval. That's a lot of weapons that are sort of stuck in limbo somewhere. I like this statement from Marco Rubio yesterday on the series of events leading up to the, by the way, we're just confirming for people just tuning in 30 minutes ago, the Speaker of the House touched down in Taipei, the capital of Taiwan. Uh, I pray leaders of the Communist Party, this is according to Rubio, hashtag China will remember ancient but wise advice. Uh, When anger arises, think of the consequences. We may have deep domestic political differences in America, but we will respond with unbreakable unity if threatened from abroad. And, of course, if you threaten number three, no one's going to say, well, what's the big deal? She's a Democrat. You know, no one. that's not the way Americans got to react. I'm not so sure that China understands that. Do you think they really understand our culture better, like, let's say, better than the Russians do? Because the Russians always astound me how their assumptions are way off. Well, Brian, a few of the Chinese experts on America – I've met with them over the years. They have PhDs from Berkeley or George Washington University. They speak fluent English. That small group understands America only too well. But the top leaders, uh, including Xi Jinping himself, really have no foreign language. They don't uh, visit foreign countries very much. So they tend to respond in terms of ancient Chinese uh, conflicts, and they see the world today very much like it was 2,000 years ago in China, that rival states are all competing to see who will become the number one hegemon. That's how, that's how they view this kind of uh, test by the Americans, that they assume that Biden sent Nancy Pelosi, which I think is totally false. But they assume that this is some kind of probe or a test of their strength and their, and their resolution over Taiwan. Yeah. And their response is probably going to be based on that ancient thinking that we've got to respond somehow to this old hegemon, the Americans, and do something that frightens them so they won't do this again. And uh, by the way, they give us way too much credit. Uh, there's no Nancy <laughs> Pelosi to uh, President Biden's secret agenda. Uh, so in, in, in Nancy Pelosi's op-ed in the Washington Post, she brings up the support that we traditionally have had over the last 40 years with uh, Taiwan. Uh, it's a democracy. If it's under threat, Beijing in recent years has dramatically intensified tensions with Taiwan, she notes. 
and goes on to mention China's actions in Hong Kong, Tibet, and genocide against the Uyghurs. So none of those statements show any type of backward steps. Even though she didn't answer anybody's question when asked, will you visit, she is actually being quite direct in what we've seen so far. Well, I think she's very cleverly taking away an, an election issue for the midterms. That for the last couple of years, the impression has been built up that Republicans are tough on China. They don't want China to steal our stuff and steal our jobs, uh, coerce all their neighbors, <laughs> claim the South China Sea is theirs. And the Democrats look pretty weak. Um, a lot of Democrats are involved with investments and money. You, you know this only too well from China. So that was a, a really a big plus for Republicans going in the midterms. If Nancy Pelosi succeeds in looking like a hardliner against China, she takes away some of that Republican magic that we're the only party that can deal with a rising threat from China. I accept that analysis, but upon further review, it's just not true. Yet the president of the United States (laughs) does not want her to go. The Pentagon, according to reports, did not want her to go. Uh, And there was a lot of people on the left, like Thomas Friedman, I consider him a left-wing columnist, urging her not to go. So I saw that column. Yeah, Amazing. it was because he says all relates to the Ukraine that he says the Chinese have been cooperative and not cooperating se- uh, se- severely with the Russians by not allowing them to have drones or weapons. But they are buying their oil and they said they'll do anything they need to be get it done. So that's one thing is clear. Well, and whether Nancy Pelosi reverses herself is very, very important. She refused to cooperate with Kevin McCarthy a couple of years ago to form a bipartisan task force on China. So Kevin McCarthy did it with only Republicans, came out with about 70 excellent recommendations. Uh, The Democrats were forbidden from working with that Republican task force. Now they're going to ask Nancy again, how about a bipartisan task force that we asked before? If she's affected by this trip in a positive way, in my view, she will say yes to Kevin McCarthy. Let's have a bipartisan House task force on China. But we just don't know until she gets back. Gotcha. Uh, Michael Pillsbury, thanks for your instant analysis. We're following events. So far, the cameras are down. Uh, We don't know if the plane stayed on the tarmac. We know the delegation, the Democratic delegation, is now out. And uh, they're in whatever facility that they wanted to be into. But they got a big welcome. The highest sky, the biggest skyscraper in Taiwan lit up with a welcome sign and a big delegation on the tarmac to greet him. I'm sure China is not happy in the mainland, 100 miles offshore. Michael, thank you. Thanks, Brian. You this got is Chinese territory. That's their view. <laughs> I know. It's, it's great talking to you over, the, I think, twice in 12 hours. So we've, we've set a record. Uh, had you your last night with Laura. <laughs> uh, thanks so much. Uh, meanwhile, when we come back, I'll take your calls, get your take. one 408 Senator Lindsey Graham will join us, too, at the bottom of the hour. But next is all about you. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's been three days now since a Chinese official publicly threatened to murder Speaker Pelosi. Where is the president coming out to respond to, at the very least, say, don't do that? Well, first, we've talked 
Kirby was just here talking about how um, I have not seen those reports, so I'm uh, just going to say they were going to maybe shoot down her plane, or that they would, oh. it would be within their rights to okay. shoot down her plane. All right. Well, we have talked about that. We have said that there's no need for this type of saber rattling. It is unnecessary. Right. There's no need to shoot down her plane. That's a great point. And she's such a brilliant press secretary. And also uh, calling uh, Admiral Kirby Kirby is really uh, fantastic. Yeah, Biden. Uh, that that's really good. I mean, and she hadn't heard anything about it. Well, what did they plan on doing? Shooting down a plane? Oh, it's the first time I'm hearing this. That doesn't sound good. I told him there's no need to shoot down our plane. So that is uh, the press secretary yesterday talking about the the possibility of the Speaker of the House going to uh, Taiwan, to the Capitol. It turns out the Speaker went. Uh, so she landed about 1046 p.m. there in the pitch black. She landed, lights on the plane, got off, no incident. See her in a pink outfit, no problem. Now we understand her itinerary looks like this. She will meet with the president tomorrow, so she's spending the night there. Then she's going to meet with uh, Taiwan's parliament. That should tick off China, and then she'll move on. We know she's going to go to Japan, South Korea, and she just came from Singapore. So I'm getting some of your emails. I'm getting to some of them. Jeff Black writes me and says, the whole Pelosi deal is nuts. China can take Taiwan by lunch tomorrow if it wants. To have Kirby and all these experts saying otherwise is just a flat-out lie. They own land uh, at both ends of the Panama Canal, then stop chips from Taiwan. They already got us. Uh, that's what, with the other big story, and I don't think we spent enough time on, I will try to, is the fact that in Panama, uh, the... The Chinese come in with all this money. They give it to Panama, who suck and win financially, and they take control of the – if they do, in fact, take control of Panama, that jeopardizes our national interest. Why do we let that happen? Number one, Carter never should have sold it back to Panama, period. We built it. We made it. Uh, We've revolutionized it. We've single-handedly revitalized that whole country, which is built on that canal, and now we gave it back. But that's in the 1970s. But now China's going to come in and have control. Uh, That, to me, is not – uh, uh, that to me is not something I can uh, subscribe to. So that's uh, we're continuing to follow those events that are happening over there. Uh, other people are writing in, and uh, Randy writes this: a question, uh, a question for uh, anyone that wants to answer. Why do we even care about China? Let China do their thing; we'll do our thing. Says Bill from Wisconsin. I don't even know what kind of planet we're on if we pretend as though we're going to actually live in our own land. Um, and that's what people are saying. So the Pelosi thing is happening. Uh, the, the warnings did not happen. For the first time in my lifetime, I'm seeing a party, the same party in power, divided about something that has such international consequences as this. Personally, when she announced in April and had to postpone it, you were with her a million times at a million different events. Say, hey, Ms. Speaker, why don't we just let this peter out? Things are heating up. Or you say, you know what? Go ahead, go. Let's be provocative. How dare they do this? We have a record number of interactions, interdictions happening in the sea and in the sky. Uh, we'll tell them this is our pushback. But it's not. They're on separate pages right now. And I think Mike Pillsbury, as much as I respect his analysis, politically, this is a win for Nancy Pelosi, not for the party. Because the Pentagon, as well as the president, did not want her there. Let's see what happens. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. They're the ones that have become more coercive and aggressive in the region. They're the ones that are intimidating their neighbors. They're the ones that are fortifying and making man-made islands. And they're the ones who have, in just recent uh, weeks, 
ventured closer to Taiwan and, and conducted some provocative and unprofessional acts in the air and on the sea. Uh, we recognize that. What we're saying is there's no reason for them to behave in that way because there's no threat from the United States. We haven't changed anything about our one China policy. Yeah, well, we'll see. They don't seem to be getting that message. So in case you don't know, uh, just about 50 minutes ago, the, the Speaker of the House landed in Taipei, China, at 1045 at night. There was a huge delegation on the tarmac. It was clear it was her. She's wearing pink right in the middle. The rest of the Democratic delegation was greeted warmly. Big sign in the skyscraper saying, welcome. We understand our itinerary will be uh, addressing meeting with the president and then addressing parliament. So China has said this. China's defense ministry says this. The PLA is on high alert. We'll launch targeted military operations to counter Pelosi's visits to Taiwan. Uh, So it goes on to say uh, they will carry out joint military operations around Taiwan Island from August 2nd. That's today, tonight. Local time will conduct joint sea air training and airspace north, south, west, southeast of Taiwan Island. Conduct live firing off uh, in waters off eastern coast of Taiwan. Uh, military operations are targeted at recent U.S. actions on Taiwan. So essentially, it looks like they're going to surround the island. Well, Senator Lindsey Graham joins us now, ranking member of the Senate Budgetary Committee, member of Appropriations, and as much knowledge about international relations as anyone in Washington. So, Senator. What do you think about the speaker landing? What do you think about the Chinese response? Uh, good that she went. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party are a bunch of bullies, and they're trying to shake America's resolve when it comes to supporting a democracy in Taiwan. The speaker did the right thing, and all this bluster will be in the column of bluster. There will be no real action against Taiwan. However, if the Chinese see us abandoning Ukraine and Putin still standing after he invades Ukraine and actually successful, I think it's almost certain they will invade. Uh, But this uh, response to Pelosi is uh, domestic politics uh, inside of China. I've never seen military operations surround a whole island 100 miles from mainland China. That's going to be some sensationalistic operations. You've seen war games before. You've seen drills. That's going to be yeah. something to see. Yeah, I mean, what they're trying to do through the videos and this this action is to basically demonstrate their ability to surround the island. Well, it is an island, so it can be surrounded. But what people have to understand is there are 25 million people plus in Taiwan who are ready to fight for their freedom if necessary. This is not a change in Chinese policy by her visit. This is just reinforcing a relationship between two democracies. So it's one thing to do military exercises. It's another thing to go into a country and try to take freedom away from those who have uh, experienced it. It's not going so well for Russia uh, and Ukraine. And if you think Ukraine has been hard for Russia, Taiwan would be a nightmare for China. Well, a couple of things. What about Pelosi essentially meeting with this government? They looked at it as the government of of Taiwan is really mainland China, President Xi. Pelosi saying, no, I'm meeting with the president, female, and I'm going to meet with parliament acknowledging this democracy. And she also, in her statement, in her column, brought up the Uyghur torture and... um, Uh, we were talking about the the Uyghurs and what they do with Tibet. Yeah. So your reaction to those statements, because this is the speaker doing her own foreign policy. Where's the White House on this? <laughs> well, she's doing what the president should be doing. She's taking a bold stand against China. So our policy is not to support independence by Taiwan. 
but to recognize it as a democracy and to have a relationship with Taiwan. But should we arm we them? Well, yeah, we we sell them weapons. Well, you know, I know, but in, we don't have enough. We don't have the right defensive weapons. By all yeah. military experts say they don't have right. enough. You know, well, we're going. They've got sixty-three F-16s in the queue here. But yeah, we should do more militarily. We should help them more. But their their military is U.S. based uh, in terms of weapons. So she's going to the parliament to recognize the democracy called Taiwan. This is a great thing. But Biden has just sent every wrong signal you could send. You know, I want to congratulate them on the strike against Zawahiri, but. This should be a five-alarm fire for the entire system in the United States. You had the leader of al-Qaeda, who's been on the FBI's most wanted list for years, on the balcony of a home owned by the Minister of Interior and the Taliban government. If this is not a brazen sign that al-Qaeda is back in the game in Afghanistan working with the Taliban, I don't know what would be. But back to back to Taiwan. The statement by President Biden where he urged her not to go or our military said you shouldn't go was dumber than dirt, and it really did create a problem that was unnecessary. No kidding. And now we understand Jennifer Griffin says the Pentagon never said that. The Pentagon says they're anxious to brief her, but the Pentagon—but the president did. Yeah, I asked Austin point blank, did you tell her not to go? Well, we gave her our advice, but we can't control her. He didn't deny that, so I don't know what's going on, but I know this. I know the president of the United States basically urged the Speaker of the House not to visit an ally called Taiwan at a crucial time in their their nation— uh, and, and our relationship with them and our stance against China, it was a really dumb thing to say. And Speaker Pelosi, to her credit, we disagree on most things, to her credit, she went and did the right thing. The right thing is for Americans to show up in Taiwan and show support for Taiwan. But we do look like a, the Keystone Cops. I mean, this is the same party. We have to that's get together step, that, on— That's a step up to be the Keystone Cops. Cops. Right. Listen, I think that's an insult to Keystone Cops. You know, buying foreign policy is just beyond in disarray. Okay. We're talking about giving the Ayatollah, who's a religious Nazi, $50 billion to further dismember the Mideast. They want to deal with the Iranian regime over their nuclear program, the Biden administration. They'll crawl through glass to get it. This statement about Taiwan really sets us back, and thank God the speaker is. Um, is trying to fix the problem that Biden created. I want to just let your listeners know, I've never been more worried about the reemergence of radical Islam in Afghanistan than I am now. So how did this happen? How could the leader of al-Qaeda on the most wanted list for for years, if not decades, show up in Kabul uh, to the point that he could be on a balcony of a home by the Minister of Interior and Taliban and al-Qaeda not working with each other. The U.N. said a couple of weeks ago there are ten to 15,000 uh, international terrorists inside of Afghanistan. So this is a breeding ground for uh, radical Islam just like it was before 9-11, and we have a broken border. So the next guy to take over from Zawahiri – He's got to prove himself uh, on the streets of radical Islam. How do you do that? You outdo the people that you're taking over from. You hit America. So I'm telling the Biden administration right now that all the signals I see coming out of Afghanistan is a building attack against the American homeland. 
Right. Uh, but here's the president. He feels differently. Cut 17. When I ended our military mission in Afghanistan almost a year ago, I made the decision that after 20 years of war, the United States no longer needed thousands of boots on the ground in Afghanistan to protect America from terrorists who seek to do us harm. And I made a promise to the American people that we continue to conduct effective counterterrorism operations in Afghanistan and beyond. We've done just that. So he says over the horizon worked. It's a good thing we left. Well, number one, he said there was no al-Qaeda present when we left. That's one of the reasons we're leaving. Mission accomplished. We destroyed al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. The U.N. suggests that ten to 15,000 international terrorists are flocking to Afghanistan, not Lindsey Graham, the U.N. So what does this strike tell you? It tells you that Zawahiri, the leader of al-Qaeda, is with us no longer. But he was so brazen in his relationship with Taliban that he was staying in the house of the Minister of Interior. So if Joe Biden, President Biden, doesn't understand, this is the strongest signal yet that al-Qaeda is alive and well inside of Afghanistan. It's incredibly dangerous. My biggest fear is coming true, that we pull the plug on Afghanistan, it would fall into the Taliban hands, and before you know it, uh, international terrorists will reemerge in Afghanistan like before 9-11. There are training camps all over the country. We do not have a counterterrorism program that to stop the reemergence of al-Qaeda and ISIS in Afghanistan. Killing one person doesn't destroy an organization. I am glad they got the guy, but I'm here to tell your audience that al-Qaeda has a foothold in Afghanistan. It's growing by the day, and ISIS in a fight with al-Qaeda and the Taliban it is a complete mess inside of Afghanistan, and the likelihood of an attack on our homeland is as high as I've seen it since 9-11. Well, don't you, the southern border is sealed. Oh, I mean, isn't sealed. So they're just uh, pouring through four million so far. David Rohde was, as as you know, was a prisoner of war and got out, uh, knows the region well and says we should be doing this. Cut 27. There needs to be a new sort of engagement with the Taliban to, to set up a deal. You essentially behave this way. We will support you economically. And there has to be engagement with Pakistan. Look, we lost in Afghanistan for multiple reasons. The U.S. made mistakes. The Afghan government was corrupt. We lost because of Pakistan. And again, I'm biased, but when I was kidnapped by the Haqqanis, I was taken from Afghanistan into Pakistan. They sheltered Osama bin Laden. They held me captive there. The al-Qaeda regrouped. So until we get Pakistan to change its behavior, this threat is going to exist in the long term. So I agree, we don't send back in troops, but we can't ignore Afghanistan. I would urge the Biden administration to engage with the Taliban and engage with Pakistan diplomatically and economically. Senator Graham, do you agree? No. Totally not. I appreciate his service to our country. We do not need to engage the Taliban economically. We need to consider them a threat to the American homeland. We need to go to Pakistan and the surrounding regions and say, now that we know the leader of al-Qaeda was openly um, in uh, cahoots with the Taliban, that they are, in fact, a state sponsor of terrorism, that the Taliban are providing safe haven to our sworn mortal enemy, al-Qaeda, and they're ineffectively fighting ISIS. So what I would tell Pakistan in the region is that America is going to have a forward presence. We're going after the training camps, and you need to help us because al-Qaeda reemergence in uh, in uh, Afghanistan is a threat to the entire region. So rather than trying to buy the Taliban off, I would use this as an opportunity to clearly define our relationship with the Taliban. 
Taliban. You are harboring international terrorists. You're creating conditions for an attack on the American homeland, and we're coming after any and every terrorist we can find inside of Afghanistan, and we do this through an alliance of people in the region. We move assets forward so we can better deal with this. So you would set up bases in Pakistan? I would ask Pakistan to work with us to have a more robust presence to go after the training camps. I I cannot stress enough. I just don't think they care. Uh, Senator, I don't think they care about it. Well, then then let let them tell us no. I care. So the border's broken. When Marika says it's secure, that's just crazy. We've lost operational control of the border. We have the uh, an al-Qaeda presence in Afghanistan that is unchecked by the Taliban. We have a rise in ISIS. We have ten to 15,000 international terrorists flowing into Afghanistan, according to the United Nations. And we don't have the presence we need to stop the training camps before it's too late. So I would urge the Biden administration to change policy, isolate the Taliban, consider them a terrorist state, and work with partners in the region who do not want al-Qaeda to come back. Lastly, uh, the, the Manchin-Schumer bill that hasn't passed yet, if Cinema says yes and the others get on board, it will, uh, if the parliamentarian signs off on it. Did Senator Manchin get rolled or did Mitch McConnell? I think what happened here is that we all worked in good faith to try to get chips made in America that are essential to our military and our economy. That's a good thing. Uh, I supported an infrastructure bill, a slimmed-down version I thought we needed. But we were told by several Democrats that another round of reconciliation was not going to happen, so we were misled. I think this is going to throw gas on an inflation fire. All of these uh, tax increases are going to be passed on to the consumer. The Joint Tax Commission indicated that every American in all income levels are going to feel the burden of this bill because corporations will pass it on to the consumer, and that will lead to more inflation. So, yeah, I felt like not only uh, we were misled, that Senator Manchin is embracing policies that are making inflation worse, not better, and he told us American Rescue Plan would work. It didn't. This is not going to work. So, yeah. I'm pretty upset about it. But uh, I want to say one thing to uh, Mount Sinai South Nassau Hospital, where my niece is having surgery today. Dr. B and his team, God bless you all. We've been treated so well. It's a great asset to the people of New York. And I just want to end on a positive note that, you know, my sister's, um, my niece is going through surgery and ask for your prayers and support and never realize that, you know, all these important issues are real. But, you know, we all have lives to live. So praying for everybody out there that have sick sick ones and loved ones uh, in distress. Yeah, Mount, Mount Sinai among the top 10 hospitals in the country. And yeah, uh, especially very lucky in New York. to be ha- having her there. Very and, lucky. And WABC listeners who are who are on board, as long with WRCN, they'll they'll all uh, you you are speaking to them. So that there you well, go. Good. Uh, uh, best of luck. Uh, I know she'll be fine. Senator Lindsey Thank Graham, you. thanks for your insight and information. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. You got it. We're going to come back and uh, wrap things up. Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I always wanted to do something I could for my country, and this is all about my country. It's not about my politics or someone else's politics or my friends on the Republican side or my friends on the Democrat side or whoever's upset with me. 
It had nothing to do about any of us. This is about what can we do for the country. And right now, inflation is the greatest threat that we have. It's hurting every West Virginian, I can assure you, at the gas pump, at the, at the, at the food store, uh, and their energy bills, and just their daily lives. And if we have a chance, and I've said this all along, if I ever had a chance to have an energy policy that was bi balanced, and we can basically make sure we're producing more energy for what we have rather than going around the world asking other people to produce for us, shouldn't we do that? So the, the, right now, Joe Manchin's on with Harris Faulkner just saying there's no tax increases in this bill and that if inflation will be less, you just heard him. But there's nobody who sees how inflation, this is inflation reduction bill, inflation will be less. He says it'll have an impact on inflation. They say in nine years it could go down 0.03%. These are the people that do it for a living. Then the, pres the senator just said, well, the people on uh, the nonpartisan committee that looked at this, it says it's only going to raise taxes on people that make under 200000 uh, by $16.7 billion, and people to make over to the tune of $14.2 billion. He says, well, that was only done by the Republican side of the nonpartisan committee. I don't even understand that definition. Uh, I, sooner or later, the numbers are going to tell the entire story. But one thing I thought that was very telling, that when Brett asked Senator Manchin, who I think is well-meaning, might be naive in that, when he said, when you signed off on the $1.9 trillion rescue package, you said it wasn't going to hurt the economy. It ended up hurting the economy and lending to inflation. Inflation says, well, I don't want to make that mistake again. We all don't want you to make that mistake again. But the fear is you did. Hey, uh, I want a chance to meet you in person. Go to BrianKillMe.com. Uh, click on some of my live events. will be carried on Fox Nation, some of them. Uh, August 27th, right in Newark, New Jersey. Then The Egg in Albany, New York. And then over in November, two dates. Uh, one in Brandon, Mississippi. And then one in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'll see you all there. Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. We'll follow all the breaking stories, and there's a lot of them. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.